0: Take a speaker. Well, good morning. morning. I'm gonna spill my coffee up here, so if I do just act like it's part of it. Well, good morning. My name is Dylan Bennett. If we haven't met, I'm the pastoral intern here. That just means pastor in training. Um, So welcome if you're a first-time guest. I feel like I'm getting feedback. Okay, just embrace it. Maybe it's just me. Good? Good. All right, y'all. I'm going to pray for us. If you would, pray with me. Um, This is my first sermon preaching, so uh, be, uh, be gracious, but please beg God to show up here. Father God, we ask you to come, to come be in our church, to be with your body, to be with your children. God, as we read the word and it exposes wounds, be gentle with us. As your gospel patches them back together, your word is good. You were faithful. Work in our hearts. Pour out your spirit here. God, let my words not get in the way of your word. Your word changes lives. Your word restores and builds. God, do that here. Be with us. Be with me. Let me get out of the way. God, I love you. I praise you. Amen. All right. So today, we're going to do a nice, easy topic, and we're going to talk about shame. <laughs> so uh, be ready. Um, now, Today, the title is Shame and Restored Identity. Um, so I want to tell you a story that happened to me this week. I was on the way to pick up my kids from summer camp, windows down, radio going. I pulled up to a red light. When I glance over the person beside me, um, she was mining for green gold, knuckles deep in her nose. It wasn't a big deal until she turned and made eye contact. You could see the horror flush over her face that she had just been caught, exposed in an act, it brought shame on her. It wasn't that big of a deal, but she eased up as far as she could to the car in front of her. She had no interest in looking at me ever again. I imagine we've had moments like that, where we feel exposed, where shame creeps in. But it's important to understand, shame is based on what you think, not necessarily what is true. Your experience in shame is subjective. What causes shame for one person may not cause shame for another. Shame is defined as a painful feeling or belief in one's basic defectiveness as a human being, which leads to fear of being unworthy of love and belonging. There's two types of shames we're going to talk about today. Legitimate shame and illegitimate shame. Legitimate shame is experienced when you do something wrong. Another word would be guilt. If you come into my house and you make a mess, you might feel guilty and say, I'm sorry, I made a mess. That's legitimate shame. Illegitimate shame is an identity issue that attacks our being. If you come in my house and make a mess, illegitimate says, illegitimate shame says, I'm sorry, I am a mess. Do you hear the difference? Today we're gonna explore shame more in the story of David and Mephibosheth. I'm trying not to butcher that name bear with me. You can say it with me if it helps. Um, we'll be in 2 Samuel 9. If you have a Bible or a phone, please pull it out. I'll give you a minute to find it. Um, Old Testament. 2 Samuel 9. Now, one of my roles here is uh, I'm youth, children's youth, pastor and training. And I feel a deep responsibility to keep this older generation hip and in the know. So I want to share with you my sermon in tweet form. Don't ask me to explain a tweet because I can't. God gives identity while shame hides us and robs our identity. But Jesus bore shame to restore our identity. Now we embrace truth and pursue community. This is the sermon. This is what we will hear through 2 Samuel 9 today. To give us some context before we read the text as you turn, we're in the height of David's rule. We see in 1 Samuel David start to rise, and at this point he's still on top. He has yet to fall to the disgrace that's coming. We see him lament over the solid death, showing us that he has compassion even for his enemies. We see him win battle after battle. He has united the tribes of Israel to become their king. He conquered Jerusalem as the nation's capital. He has brought the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem, making it the religious and political capital of Israel. In 2nd Samuel 7, God promises more victories for David. He promises rest. He promises to keep building David's name and his dynasty. And he even promises David that the Messiah is going to come through his lineage. One thing that would be common in this time is to kill off anyone who had a claim to the throne. Just wipe out entire families. But what David does here is something different. He offers restored identity to a man who, whose identity was bound by shame. So we'll start. 2 Samuel 9, 1-3. through 3. And David said, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there's a servant at the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, And they called to him, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is the son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. God gives identity. In this text, we see a great moment. This, David is the leader of a powerful nation that can't seem to lose. He is respected. He's a good king. Israel is finally at rest, according to 2 Samuel 7. They are no longer being attacked. David asks if anyone is left in the house of Saul so they can show the kindness of God to. No one even around Saul knows. So they call in Zeba. Ziba. A servant of Saul, he's the one been taking care of Saul's land. Zebus points us to Jonathan's son who is lame in both feet. This is not the first time we mention or we hear of him. He's mentioned in Second Samuel four four. Jonathan, the son of Saul, who had a son, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when he heard the news about Saul and Jonathan, that was they had just died. When the news came down from Jezreel, the nurse took him up and fled. As she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. In just two verses, this verse and the one prior, we learn some interesting things about Mephibosheth. First thing we learn is that he's lame in both feet. Now, having a disability this time was not A good thing. It was a common belief that sin was the reason for disabilities. This was the cultural norm. We see it in John 9. The disciples asked Jesus about the blind man. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? This is years after. Culturally, someone with a disability was an outcast, a sinner who would not be associated with. Shame would be brought on to the family and any associates. Three times mentioned that he was lame. We learn that he is the son of Jonathan. This is mentioned twice. This is not somebody you'd want to hang out with, especially if you were king. This is a direct threat to the king. An enemy of state. His bloodline was that of a disgraced king. Again, shame associated with him. We learn his name. It's mentioned once. Mephibosheth, this name translates from the mouth of shame. Mephibosheth's story is marked and marred by shame, but the king restores his identity. I want to ask a question. Has your identity ever been marked by a moment? This could be as simple as the stories your family and friends tell to introduce you. For Mephibosheth... I imagine this was the conversation in any time his name was mentioned. They would say, oh, Mephibosheth, do you know what happened to him, right? Do you have moments like that? It's a recognizable moment. But what we see is King David invites the man of shame into his presence. Just like the Father in heaven has invited you into his presence. Your shame does not scare him. He will not cast you out. He will invite you in. As we continue into the text, this is long, bear with me. The king said to him, where is he? Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Emiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him to the house of Mekir, brought him from the house of Maker, in the son of Emiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you would show regard for a dead dog such as I? The king called Azeba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belongs to Saul. And to his house I give to your master's grandson. And all of your sons, you and your sons, and your servants shall till the land for him, and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twelve servants, and Ziba said to the king, According all that my lord commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. This man of shame was invited into the presence of the king. The king restores his identity by restoring everything that was his before his grandfather had fallen. The king redeems this man and gives him a place to stay in the promised land. But there's more. Not only will his shame be cast away and his identity restored, he's also been given a seat at the king's table. He will be a son of the king. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this, too, is your story. We have a disgraced royal bloodline as the descendants of Adam. His fall sent us all away from the garden, the place God intended for us to dwell. He intended to be there with us. Because of Christ, you have been redeemed and given a place in, that, in the promised land. But even more, we have been adopted as children, and we now have a place at the table We receive far more than we can imagine. Our king, our God, is not scared of your shame. He has invited you to come be with him and restored your identity. The truth is God is the one who determines identity. We are the Imago Dei, made in the image of God. God gives you your identity as image bearer. So God gives identity, but we have a problem. Shame hides us in Rob's identity. Mephibosheth was hiding out in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar translates to a place with no pasture. His shame kept him in a desert land. Now compare that to the promised land, the land of milk and flowing honey, a spacious land, a good land. But he stayed in the desert. I want to put ourselves in Mephibosheth's place. He was hiding out because he was scared for his life, but I imagine he just wanted to be left alone. Because of his grandfather it was rejected by God, he carried the shameful actions of Saul with him. He had shame in his physical condition. If I were Mephibosheth, I would have feeling of exposure, feelings of being unacceptable, and I would want to hide to preserve my life, and to stop the looks of others. I think this is a natural human reaction. In the story of Adam and Eve, once they sinned, what did they do? They hid. Genesis 3, 7, and 8 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves cloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the, man said to a, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. When Adam, and Eve, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey, they felt legitimate shame. I made a mess. They went against their creator's loving protective plan. The legitimate shame gave Adam and Eve an opportunity to feel conviction over their sin, to repent and turn back to God but they didn't do this. Instead, they responded with a feeling of exposure by hiding from God, covering themselves with fig leaves. We all have moments of illegitimate, sorry, we all have moments of legitimate shame for wrongful acts. But what about the legitimate shame? Illegitimate shame. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and instead of coming to him, they felt illegitimate shame about their nakedness. The parts of them God uniquely designed together to provide pleasure, intimacy, and life. Adam and Eve's shame shifted from legitimate to illegitimate when their response moved from, I made a mess to, I am a mess. Their response to God was not, I made a mistake. Instead, they covered themselves because they were the mistake. Illegitimate shame... Is a powerful feeling of one's basic defectiveness, powerful feeling or belief in one's basic defectiveness as a human being, which leads to the fear of being unworthy of love and belonging. Now, shame is experienced differently between men and women. For women, shame usually comes in this unattainable, conflicting expectations of who you are supposed to be. When are you gonna get married? When are you going to have kids? Should you go to work? Should you be a stay-at-home mom? The list goes on. For men, it's a little bit more simplistic. You might even be able to answer. For men, shame comes from do not be perceived as weak. I can do it myself. I don't need help. Show no weakness. For me, I felt this when I went away to college. A family member told me I would never make it. I would be back home in two weeks, I mean in two months, and I might not have seen it until my graduation day, but I did not celebrate the fact that I was a college graduate. I celebrated the fact that I proved him wrong. The trajectory of my life changed because I was avoiding the shame, my uncle, of being right. If he was right, then what? Has your life been built on a moment like that? If you, were attempted, if, you attempted, if you were tempted to escape that moment, it wouldn't be long before you heard the voices saying, never good enough. And if you happen to press on past that, you might hear things like, who do you think you are? There are three things that feed into shame. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Judgment. Secrecy. Lies and secrets are like cancer to the soul. They eat away us. Secrecy keeps pain hidden. We lie to ourselves. Silence. Tell no one. Everyone is doing better than me. It would be too humiliating to let them know the truth. Judgment. Something is wrong with me. I cannot live up to expectations, and I do not deserve good things. Even now I can hear the voices in my head saying the things I struggle with aren't a big deal. Just hide them. Be silent. Keep the secrets. I can figure it out. But all secrets held in silence are bound in shame. I imagine Mephibosheth felt this shame. He was marked by shame at the age of five. He ran away to a barren land for 15 plus years and made his home there. He lived there, he had a family there, living in a secret place, silence and safety, lies telling him he deserves to be in Lodabar. If anyone were to find him, what would happen? It's safe here. Shame hides you and robs your identity. But there's good news. Jesus bore shame to restore your identity. Jesus stepped down from eternal glory to dress himself in humanity. He lived a life with no shame. He had friends, reputation, decency, comfort, dignity. Shame stripping away every earthly support that Jesus had. His friends gave way to shaming abandonment. His reputation gave way to shaming mockery. His decency gave way to shaming nakedness. His comfort gave way to shaming torture. His glorious dignity gave way to the utter, utterly undignified, degrading reflexes of grunting and groaning and screeching. Hebrews twelve says that Jesus despised shame, but he looked at the joy of enduring the cross. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus did this with you and mine, church. Your sin and shame were crucified with Jesus. Put to death so you may live. I believe we can see ourselves closely in Mephibosheth if we look. I want to retell the story with a little personal touch. The Lord is looking to restore a descendant of Adam. One of the Lord's servants says there is a shamed and broken man. He is infected with a disease, hatah, it's terminal. His shame has kept him in a hidden, in the for. His shame has kept him hidden in a God forsaken place. The Lord tells his servant to go and get this man and bring him to me. As the man approaches the kingdom, his fear is piling up. He knows he's not worthy to be anywhere near the Lord. As he enters the throne room, he uses all of his strength to throw his sin ridden body down on the floor, knowing that he's about to be executed. But the Lord calls him by name, says, Do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of Jesus. It is because of him that every promise that was given to your ancestors is now yours. I will be with you, and your home will be with me. You will be my son. Shame is no longer your identity. It has no place here. For you are my child. I am yours, and you are mine. Jesus bore shame to restore identity. So how do we respond to this? We embrace truth and pursue community. Shame is an excellent path to exposing how we really feel about ourselves. What we demand of others and what we believe, where we believe life will be found. It functions as a flashing red light on the dashboard of your heart. It warns you if something is unsettled in your soul, And you have begun to define your life apart from God's truth. If the warning light of shame starts going off, we will be quick to hide and fashion fig leaves to cover ourselves. But we should come to the king. Come to the Father. What if Adam and Eve ran to God after they sinned? What if Mephibosheth, instead of living for 15 years, would have just came to the king? Would he have ever been shamed? Or marked by shame? We'll never know the answer to these questions. But what we can be sure of is God is the one who ascribes identity. Shame does not have the authority to do that. Mephibosheth's shame shaped his identity and he saw himself as a dead dog. Your shame may make you feel the same. So, our first response is to embrace God's truth and reject lies. Shame both invites us to trust in God and exposes us. When dealing with shame, embrace God's truth that you bear His image. You are a reflection of your Creator. You are beautiful and glorious. God sees you, He knows you, He loves you, He honors you, and He desires you. He has gifted you with talents and longings, intelligence and emotion. He allows you to rule and create. You were impermanently marked with the indelible ink of God's image. You will never lose your Godlikeness. You were not a dead dog. You were not unworthy. You were not beyond repair. Christ's blood is sufficient for you and me. His grace is sufficient for us both. We are children of God. Run to the king, run to the father. A good father will receive his children when they need him. Second response, we pursue community. Now, some of us have been buried in shame for years. We must acknowledge that shame that runs that deep requires help of others. You are not alone in this. If you think you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can't. Shame happens in context of relationship, and it heals in relationship. We need community to help us. The escape from shame is not easy. As we wrap this up, 2 Samuel 9 ends like this. I don't think, I'm not going to pull back up. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servant. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. For he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. Mephibosheth is no longer hiding, and his identity is renewed. He is sitting and eating at the table, at the king's table, as a son, in Jerusalem. But notice, his condition didn't change. We too carry wounds of shame, scars that are there, but it is God— man christ who restores we have freedom from shame in the finished work of christ we look forward to the day when you're in new jerusalem sitting and feasting at the table of the triune god as sons and daughters free from shame forever and ever let's pray Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for your power. Your ability to to give us a new identity, a restored identity, how you designed us. Praise Christ for the gospel, for the dying sacrifice, the atoning work of Jesus on the cross did far more than we could imagine. And knocks shame away. And we get to say we're children of you. So God, let us embrace that. Let us run to you when we fell, and shame creeps in. Your invitation stands. There's room at your table. Your grace is sufficient. Christ's blood is sufficient. Pour over us, wash over us. God, be with us. If any wounds were exposed today, be gentle as you patch them back up. But God, please be the one to patch them back up. Don't let us do it ourselves. Let us embrace truth and pursue community. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask you to be with us. In all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.